0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us today. Um, You know, we have been talking this year at Bay Area about being a witness. That whole every believer a witness thing that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the year, that wasn't just a a seven-week series. We want that to be part of who we are. That if we're a believer of Jesus, we want to be telling people about Jesus. So, before I get started this morning, I want to show you a video. A couple of weeks ago, Robbie John, our youth minister, went out with a couple of teenagers and a couple of parents and at least one grandparent. And they went down to, to Tampa and said, Let's see who we can talk to about Jesus. And Robbie made a little video about it. And uh, I want to show that to you now. Can we play that?
1: So Robbie announced that the youth group was going to go downtown Tampa by the Riverwalk and share, just share the gospel with whoever we see. Um, It's not something I'm used to, but I wanted Kenzie to experience it, and I thought, well, if if I have her go, then I should go with her. Um, And let me just say, it's way out of my comfort zone to do something like that. So we went with the the, uh, premise that we have a $5 gift card. We'd like to share that with you. Can we pray with you? Uh, Kenzie and I took out by ourselves, and we're coming down the street, and there is this row of gentlemen, obviously homeless, sitting on this wall. And uh, she goes, oh, Grandma, we're not going to stop there, are we?
2: Before you start giving, you're just terrified. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if they're going to, like, you know, start cussing at you, or even worse, they might throw a punch at you. But, you know, luckily, you know, nothing bad has happened. We've just gotten into really deep conversations, and it's just been, like, a really heartwarming, you know, activity. In downtown Tampa, that's what we're forced to do. We're forced to get out of our comfort zone. Forced to get out of the boat. So though I initially first started, uh, when I walked downtown, and I would see someone I'm, I wanted to evangelize to, I would get closer and be like, you know what? Mm, they look kind of angry, so I'm to go up to the next person. But then it got easier as I went on, because I remembered that I'm doing this for a purpose that's way greater than A wise person once told me that we're made to be uncomfortable. As Christians, we're made to stand out in a crowd. Someone's supposed to look at us and be like, you're different.
1: But here's a gentleman sitting on this wall, no place to live, but he said, we have to pray through Jesus. And so then it goes on, he says, let's all hold hands. So again, we're all holding hands, this row of homeless gentlemen, Kinsey, gentlemen, me, and Tyrone. And he starts praying, and I was so amazed because he knew all the names for God, Father God, Yahweh. He had so much sincerity in him, even though he was out on the street. He knew God. He knew more than I ever thought that he would know.
2: Uh, Looking back on it, during the times of giving, it felt so great, giving. It just, I just can't explain it, but it was like a... It was like a dopamine in my head. I just wanted to keep on giving more, but we only had so many gift cards. And when we got to a uh, a Christian, uh, he was he didn't even want the gift card. He wanted to pray with us, which was amazing. Cause throughout all this, I just thought like that they would just take the gift card, they would just take the prayer, and then they would just go on with their day. But this person, he was he was kind, and he just wanted us to know that. You know, that he, you know, he's with, you know, that God's with us and that, uh, you know, he, you know, wants us to keep battling and just to keep, you know, making sure that other people get that message out. There's no
1: greater love like Jesus' love. And that's the mission that we did in downtown Tampa. And I think it was a success. I think we gave them a little bit of light and. They-
0: Certainly gave us a lot. Yeah, good stuff. Appreciate Robbie uh, organizing that and uh, sharing a little bit with us. Um, youth group, by the way, is a youth rally in South Florida today, so we'll be prayerful about the safe return for uh, a lot of the kids there. Um, like I said, I, I want this to be part of who we are, and as the year goes forward, I hope we keep sharing. I plan to keep sharing and hearing about how we're telling our Jesus story and talking about Jesus in uh, in our community. So uh, be ready for some more of that as time goes on. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. We are going through the study of Acts. Last week we jumped ahead to Acts chapter 5. Actually, I want to go back and revisit a passage in Acts chapter 3 this morning. But before we get there, is anybody else watching Jeopardy lately? Have you been seeing this guy on Jeopardy? I have to admit, I I watch Jeopardy. I I own my nerdiness. I'm I'm okay with it. In fact, I am actually that obnoxious guy who yells out answers as they watch Jeopardy. Even right, wrong, doesn't matter answers. I yell out wrong answers as well. Martha will tell you my enthusiasm and my confidence in wrong answers sort of negates my uh, lack of knowledge sometimes. But if you're watching Jeopardy the last couple of weeks, you'll know that there's this guy on there who is tearing it up. I mean, he is setting all kind of records for the most money won in a day and, and the most money won over so much time. He's already up to like a one and a quarter million dollars that he's won on this game show. And it is amazing the amount of seemingly useless, <laughs> trivial information that this guy knows about everything. He's a professional gambler. That's what he does for a living. So every time he hits a daily double, he's like, I'm all in, all of it, all of it. So he's making all this money and all this stuff that he knows and remembers. And this past week, Alex Trebek asked him, he said, you have an interesting way to learn details and facts, don't you? And the guy says, yes, I do. I go to the library and I read children's books because they're perfect for getting details and facts. They're short. They put a lot of facts and details into a little, bit of it, a little bit of space, and there's always pictures. So I learn a lot of details. I learn a lot of facts by reading children's books. And I thought it was kind of interesting. By the way, I'm pulling for this guy. You know, I hope he keeps going. But his comment made me think, no, I think sometimes we read the Bible that same way. I just want to get the facts, I just want to get the story, I want to get the timeline, we want to talk about the details, and really the goal is, I want to be able to run the category in jeopardy on Bible. I want to know more Bible than most people. You know, minor prophets for 1,200, Alex. I want to feel confident in that. But I keep telling you that God's Word is about transformation, not just information. And understand, I think you know me well enough to know I'm not saying that Bible study is not important. I'm arguing that point that it is important. I'm just saying our motive behind Bible study and reading God's word—that word that brings life—it's got to be more than just I want to learn the facts and I want to pass the test. God's Word's a blueprint on how we can enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ. God's word is is active and alive. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It's a lamp to my feet, the light to my path. There's a reason why inspired writers use that kind of imagery. It's because they understood that God wants us to see Him. And God wants us to know Him. And God wants us to, to experience Him. He wants to be really, really present and real in our lives. You know, one of the blessings of going through a study like the book of Acts is actually kind of one of the dangers, I think, about going through a study like Acts. And that is the fact that it is so story-driven. You know, it's a very interesting story. And sometimes we get wrapped up in the story part of it. What happened? What happened next? You know, who the main players were? And all that's really important to keep in context. But I think sometimes we forget, "This this, this is history. I mean, all these things that we're talking about really did happen to real people... In real time. And I think sometimes we forget about the emotions and the tension and and the reason that God wants us to understand this in the first place. Two weeks ago, we looked at a lame man who was healed in Acts chapter 3 by Peter and John. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we focused on that individual, that lame beggar. And I mentioned that he was a guy who was looking and he was listening and he was leaping three classic preacher points I want to go back and actually revisit that same miracle but I want to do it through the lens of not this guy that's healed but this morning I want to look at it through the lens of Peter there's a couple reasons why I want to do this one is it's just I think there's some good information here and some things that I think that we can really apply to ourselves but also I want to kind of set up the next couple weeks as well but we already know quite a bit about Peter and you know his role in this particular story but it's not just words on a page. This was a real intersection of three lives that connected at about 3 o'clock on the afternoon one day. And in that intersection of lives, God's power is put on display in a really impressive way. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree that there are times in our lives when we just we skip opportunities to involve Jesus in our conversations and in our focus. And I use the word skip, not missed, because we see the opportunities. We realize, boy, there's an open door. Here's an opportunity. So we don't really miss the opportunity. We just skip it. (laughs) We just kind of let it go by. You know, you could probably look back on several. You probably don't have to go back very far. You know, a conversation or something going on in your life, and you think, "I, I should have said something. I I should have done something. I felt like God was sort of nudging me to, to say something there, to get involved in that situation, but I just skipped it. The Apostle Peter's a guy, he doesn't skip too many opportunities to talk about Jesus. And by the way, there, there's a real thrill to knowing that God has used you in whatever small way to introduce or at least to to talk about Jesus with someone. you know, It really doesn't get any better than that. So let me remind you of the text, the story. But again, as we look at it, pay close attention to Peter's role in this uh, interaction with the lame man outside the temple gates. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Peter is a man, at least earlier on in his life, he was a man who could talk a pretty good game. But Peter had a history of running a little bit hot and cold. Now, when he was hot, he was white hot. Really passionate guy. But sometimes that passion got a little bit misdirected. Sometimes that passion waned just a little bit. In fact, do you remember where Peter was right after the resurrection of Jesus? John tells us, John chapter 20, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Immediately following the resurrection, Peter, along with the other disciples, were in a room with the doors locked. They were hiding. Who were they hiding from? They were hiding from the Jews. The Jewish leaders. Why were they hiding from the Jewish leaders? Because they were afraid. (laughs) Because they thought, you know, the same people that put Jesus to death could very well come and put us to death as well. And they understood, this is not a great time to be aligning ourselves as followers of Jesus of Nazareth. This is a dicey time here. So they lock the doors, and they're trying to stay safe. Now, Just a couple short weeks later, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They're not hiding from the Jewish leaders anymore. Or at least if they are, they're doing a really poor job of it because they're headed to the temple. Now, who's going to be at the temple? The Jewish leaders are going to be at the temple, right? They're not hiding from the leaders anymore. So, why did Peter and John go to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Why did they go to the temple? We kind of inferred that they went there to pray because it was the time for prayer. But Peter and John would have had to have known that Jesus has changed the rules. They don't have to go to the temple to pray anymore. They can pray anywhere. Why are these two men on the way to the temple? And maybe it was just habit. They always went to the temple at time for prayer, which, by the way, is a good habit to have. If you're in the habit of doing godly things, don't quit that habit. Maybe it was just a habit for them. Maybe they were looking for someone that they could talk to about Jesus. They certainly talked to the beggar about Jesus, right? That's right where they take this conversation. But when you think about it, that's a pretty safe conversation to have. In the video that you just saw, I think it was Tyrone that said, "You know, I saw people, and I thought, okay, I'm going to talk to them. Mm, no, I don't want to talk to them. I'm going to, you know, pick somebody else." Peter and John's conversation with the beggar, it's a pretty safe conversation. I mean, he's not a very threatening man, right? And yet we see they're going to go into the temple and they're going to talk about Jesus as well. And then in a chapter, they're going to be uh, before the Sanhedrin, the very people who did put Jesus to death, and they're going to be talking about Jesus again. Boy, what a difference a couple weeks makes, right? Now Peter is feeling compelled to talk about Jesus, to tell the good news of Jesus to everyone. He proclaims it to this lame man that that we just looked at. And I think this is probably a good place to step sideways and make a couple observations or, or some points to stop and consider. And the first is this. In order to be like Jesus, we're going to have to hang out with people who don't know Jesus. I mean, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to hang out with people who don't know Jesus. And we've talked about that sort of being the strategy. People who know Jesus, telling people who don't know Jesus how they can come to know Jesus. And I get it that this is a little bit uncomfortable for a lot of people. You know, I've mentioned before, One of the things that Jesus was accused of, one of the things that got him killed, you he was accused of a lot of things. Um, A lot of it completely false, a lot of it made up. But one thing that he was accused of, he was actually guilty of. They said, this man Jesus, he hangs out with sinners. And Jesus didn't really have a defense for that because that man Jesus, he did hang out with sinners. He talked to prostitutes. He ate with tax collectors. He saw flawed people as individuals of great worth, worthy of his time and his attention, his patience and his grace. In his book, Becoming a Courageous Christian, Mark Middleburg tells the story of being in a grocery store one day, buying a bouquet of flowers for his wife and in front of him was an elderly woman who was buying some groceries, and they're both waiting to pay for their groceries, and they kind of strike up a a conversation like people sometimes do in those situations. And during the course of the conversation, Mark tells this woman that the flowers are for his wife. And she smiled and said, you know, that brings back great memories for me. My husband used to surprise me every now and then with a bouquet of flowers, and boy, it meant so much to me. He passed away several years ago. But just seeing you with these flowers, knowing you're taking them to your wife, that really brings a warm, warm feeling to my heart. And they talked a little bit more, and Mark tried to be as encouraging as he could be. The woman paid for groceries and left. And as he's paying for his flowers, he said he had an idea. In fact, it was more than an idea. It was a, a prompting. It was as if God was actually speaking to him and God was nudging him, telling him, I want you to go out and I want you to take those flowers and give them to that older woman. And he said, That's what I did. I paid for the flowers. I ran out in the parking lot. I saw her getting in her car and I stopped her and said, Ma'am, I really appreciated the conversation that, uh, that we had inside. And I would just, I would like to give you these flowers in honor of your husband. And in the name of Jesus, I would like you to have these flowers. This, this woman is overwhelmed with the act of kindness. You know, she just thank you so much, that means a lot to me. And they talked a little bit more in the parking lot. turns out they were almost neighbors. So Mark goes home and he tells his wife about this encounter. Of course, his wife wonders why God didn't prompt him to go back in the store, buy more flowers for her, You know, the argument, God told me to buy flowers and give them to another lady only goes so far with your wife, I guess. But this elderly woman was so moved by the gesture that she invited Mark and his family to her house for dinner one night. And they actually became friends. But here's the impact. Mark, the writer of this book, he and his family moved five times in in about ten years. Five different houses. This woman kept up with him through every move and in his book he said the last, uh, the last correspondence we had she sent me a package in the package was some toys for my children and she also had a note in the note she said it's been 10 years since our encounter I still remember your kindness and I talk about your compassion in the name of Jesus to almost everyone I meet Kindness, compassion, noticing people. It is so foreign to our culture, isn't it? I mean, just showing kindness to people in the name of Jesus. There's tremendous power to that. A cup of cold water in His name. We're trying to be better witnesses for Jesus want to model kindness and we want to be compassionate but we want to let people know it's because of Jesus' compassion to us we're trying to mirror Jesus' love, we're trying to point people to Jesus and that's what Peter's doing in this passage and this whole thing hinges on the message that God in heaven loved us so much that God looked down on the created and knew they're not going to make it They're dead in their sins. And so He sent the only sacrifice that would suffice. He sent His Son to come and die on a cross for my sins. To be raised three days later. This whole thing hinges on the fact that God loved me so much that if I believe in Him, I'm not going to die. I'm going to have everlasting life. that's, That's the Gospel. That's the message. So Peter goes to the temple. There's a man sitting outside the gate who couldn't walk. The passage says he's, he's placed there every day. We know he's over 40 years old. We know he's begged every day. There's an interesting verse in Luke chapter 19. It's verse 47 and 48. It's talking about Jesus when Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem. It says, Every day he, talking about Jesus, Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they couldn't find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Every day Jesus was in the temple preaching. And people recognized Jesus and people knew it was Jesus. They were hanging on his every word. He was such a powerful teacher. Every day Jesus was going to the temple to teach. Every day this beggar stood, sat outside the temple gates begging. I wonder if this beggar ever saw Jesus going in and out of the temple. It would seem that he would have. I wonder if this guy ever asked Jesus for silver or gold. I wonder why Jesus didn't heal him. In fact, I wonder if Jesus looked at him one day and thought to himself, one day Peter and John are are going to heal you. I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I do know that God works on His own timetable. But, but look again at Acts chapter 3, verse 3. When He saw Peter and John about to enter, He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. This man gets excited. He's, he's expecting something. He's expecting money, obviously. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. And this man's expectation goes immediately to disappointment. And then Peter says, but what I have, and had I been that lame man, I would have been thinking, please don't give me what you have then. I don't need your advice. I don't need your pity. What I need is your silver and gold. But of course, that disappointment's about to be turned to joy. But what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Listen, we can never forget that the thing we have to offer, the best thing we have to offer, really the only thing we have to offer is Jesus. It's the only thing we really have to offer anyone. It's not our knowledge. It's not our doctrine. It's not our building. It's not our programs. It's, It's not food that we might prepare and fix the only thing we really have to offer the world is Jesus Christ. And the only thing that the world truly needs is Jesus Christ. Now this passage in Acts chapter 3, this story of Peter and John healing this lame man, it's an interesting and kind of um, humbling passage for, for me as an American. And it should be for you as well. Because we do have silver and gold. You know, Peter said, silver and gold, we don't have. We can't say that. We have silver. We have gold. And I think sometimes we feel it's easier to write a check than it is to show compassion. And don't get me wrong, sometimes showing compassion involves writing a check. But to be involved in someone's life, to understand their needs, our greatest gift, the only gift that matters... Is Jesus. If you remember talking about Peter, the last conversation that he had, at least the last conversation recorded, uh, in John that Peter had with Jesus, they're on the beach, Jesus fixed breakfast, and then he and Peter go off by themselves, and Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter answers in the affirmative, each time getting a little bit more frustrated with the question. And you remember Jesus' response to Peter. Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, shepherd the flock. Do you love me? And if the answer is yes, take care of people. Notice people. Be involved in people's lives. Pay attention to people who are lost. Point them to the good shepherd. Shepherd the flock. I think if Jesus were asking us today, do you love me? We would all say, yes. Yes, how can you ask that? Of course we love you. Do you think his response might be the same? Feed my sheep. Take care of people. Point my sheep to the good shepherd tell people about me. No one one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I think Peter proved that. But we've got to be caring for lost people. We've got to be allowing our witness for Jesus to be part of our lives. That's my encouragement this morning as we look at Peter and his example healing a lame man. Let me tell you about Jesus. This week, who can you tell about Jesus? Who can you share your story with this week? Who can you show some kindness and compassion to? In the name of Jesus. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement this morning. If there's something on your heart that you need to share with people who love you, uh, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium here. If we can help you in any way, meet us there. Let's stand and sing.